This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. Tonight, the new details in the parade massacre. Police say the suspected shooter contemplated a second attack hours away from Highland Park, Illinois, but changed his mind. Held without bond, the new information about the suspected shooter as we learn he reloaded twice. Tonight, the first look at his arsenal and our exclusive interview with the ATF agent in charge and the police chief. There was uh, quite a bit of pre-planning that went into it. Um, and he was quite motivated to carry out the attack. Remembering the victims, they were grandparents and new parents killed in the July 4th attack. Tonight we hear their stories, including Irina and Kevin McCarthy and how their two-year-old son survived. A tragedy averted. Police in Richmond, Virginia praise a hero citizen who called in a tip that saved lives. And in Uvalde, a report out today finds an officer may have missed the chance to take down the gunman before the carnage at the elementary school. Tonight's other top headlines, former White House lawyer Pat Cipollone agrees to meet with the January 6th committee behind closed doors. President Biden speaks with the wife of WNBA star Brittany Griner. And Boris on the brink. Will the British Prime Minister resign? The job of a Prime Minister in difficult circumstances is to keep going. And the $500 tip that's sure to make you smile. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell. Reporting from the nation's capital. 
Good evening and thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday night. I'm Jerika Duncan in for Nora. Tonight, authorities say the suspect in the mass shooting of an Independence Day parade in Highland Park, Illinois, confessed during a police questioning. And we're now learning that Robert Cremo III drove to Madison, Wisconsin, where he contemplated another attack. CBS News obtained this picture of one of the weapons allegedly found in the car the suspect was driving. And there are new details tonight about how police were able to apprehend the alleged gunman. He's being held right now without bond. The state's attorney says it's likely he will face dozens of other charges. A seventh victim today was identified, a 69-year-old who attended the parade with his family. Those killed range in age from 35 to 88 years old. We have a lot of news to get to tonight, and CBS's Chris Van Cleve and Adriana Diaz are both in Highland Park. We'll start off tonight with Chris, who has more on how what happened could have been a lot worse. Good evening, Chris. Jerika, we're learning a lot more about the investigation and the manhunt. There were really two big breaks, and one came from a good Samaritan who spotted the suspect's call and not only called police, but followed that car until police were on scene. The 21-year-old suspected in the Highland Park 4th of July parade shooting showed no emotion during his virtual court appearance. There was uh, quite a bit of pre-planning that went into it, uh, and he was quite motivated to carry out the attack. Highland Park Police Chief Lou Jogman and ATF agent in charge for Chicago Kristen Ditanio speaking exclusively to CBS News. Um, he indiscriminately fired at the crowd of people and, uh, you know, struck people uh, at random. Investigators say Robert Cremo III fired 83 rounds, stopping to reload his rifle, similar to this one seen here, twice. My instant thought was this person could potentially get away and not be held accountable for this. And that concern uh, stayed with me throughout the you know, first couple of hours because we had such a, a poor description, uh, not a good trail. Was finding the gun and that trace information the, the key to identifying the suspect? Absolutely 100%, no doubt about it. Uh, that, that absolutely set this uh, investigation on a totally different trajectory. Police say the suspect dropped the gun near the scene as he escaped, disguised in women's clothing. In this case, we knew the make, the model, the serial number, and then we went through with the tracing process directly to the manufacturer. What FFL, what licensee did you send this to? We spoke to the licensee. Who did you sell it to? And when heard the name and officers recognized the name, I mean, I knew we were onto something. During the frantic eight-hour manhunt, police now say Cremo stopped to see an acquaintance and drove two and a half hours to Madison, Wisconsin. In the car with him, this gun and approximately 60 rounds of ammunition. When he spotted another parade, he allegedly considered another shooting. Do we know why he decided not to attack that parade? No, we don't know that. As awful as it was, this could have been a double tragedy. Yeah, there's no question about it. Are you any closer to a motive, a why? You know, I, I don't know that we're going to get a why from him. We really don't have any better understanding today than we did uh, when we first started talking to him about the why in particular. Police say the suspect confessed to the shooting that killed seven and wounded 38 others. But despite two encounters with police in 2019 involving threats of violence to himself or family members and a series of troubling social media posts, his parents' attorney says they saw no warning signs. To them, he was just their son. Uh, he was a little bit eccentric. He was into music. He was into art. 
But to them, he was just their son. And, and there weren't really any red flags. Prosecutors say they expect to add dozens of more charges, basically one criminal charge for every round fired. But we should also note the suspect passed four separate background checks in the process of buying his five firearms legally. Jerika. Chris Van Cleve with that excellent reporting tonight. Thank you. As the community mourns and survivors begin their long road to recovery, we are learning new details about the victims. Here's CBS's Adriana Diaz. The victims in the 4th of July attack were parents and grandparents, most at the parade with their families. The oldest was 88-year-old Stephen Strauss. His niece says her uncle still went to work every day, calling him a gentle soul. Jacqueline Sundheim was once a teacher at the North Shore Congregation Israel. Her nephew called her an island of solace who embodied a love and acceptance of difference. Nicolas Toledo Zaragoza was a father of eight. He was visiting family in the U.S. from Mexico. His grandchild says he was adventurous and funny. Eduardo Uvaldo died at the hospital. Seen here on a trip to Paris, he was with his family on the 4th of July. He was a loving, caring father, grandfather, great-grandfather. Um, he loved his wife, for sure. Parents Irina and Kevin McCarthy left behind their only child, just two years old. Witnesses say the father, Kevin, was killed, shielding his son from the gunman's bullets. He was saying, Mommy, Daddy, so I went back up to look for his mom and dad, and then I saw the scene, his carnage. The toddler was found at the massacre covered in blood. Gregory Ring and his wife, Dana, took him home, where he watched Mickey Mouse. He was happy. He was... He was fine. He was, he, was playing with, he was playing with our smallest daughter. While they launched a desperate social media search for the boy's family. Hours later, a detective arrived and reunited the boy with his grandparents. Greg Ring told us they never knew the boy's name and even checked the tag on his shirt in case it was written there. When the detective arrived, the Rings couldn't ride along, so they loaded a car seat into the squad car. A GoFundMe has raised more than $2.5 million, and it says the boy is now surrounded by family and love. Jerika, tonight, there are three victims still hospitalized. Wow, and I'm sure Dana and Gregory will forever be connected to that toddler. Adriana, thank you. Tonight, authorities in Richmond, Virginia, say it was a tip that helped them stop another planned 4th of July mass shooting. Police said a, quote, hero citizen made a phone call after overhearing a conversation about a planned attack that day. Police Chief Gerald Smith says two suspects are in custody and two assault rifles, one handgun, and 223 rounds of ammunition were seized. Back here in Washington, there's been a major breakthrough for the committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. A highly sought-after witness has agreed to an interview. CBS's Scott McFarland reports former White House counsel Pat Cipollone will meet with the committee. Three sources familiar with the matter tell CBS News former Trump White House counsel Pat Cipollone will sit with committee investigators Friday behind closed doors and we're told it will be videotaped. How important an interview is this for the committee? I think it's important for the committee. I mean, Mr. Cipollone was in the room. Uh, he, we have testimony from others about what he said and did, but there are some things that you know, we need to hear from him about directly. The committee is expected to press Cipollone about what Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson said in her blockbuster testimony last week, that Cipollone warned of criminal exposure if Trump went to the Capitol January 6th. Mr. Cipollone said something to the effect of, 
please make sure we don't go up to the Capitol, Cassidy. Keep in touch with me. We're going to get charged with every crime imaginable. The interview was set to happen four days before the next public hearing of the committee on Tuesday. CBS News is told that hearing will focus on the mobilization of the mob, including by far-right groups. A former leader of the Proud Boys and the founder of the Oath Keepers have pleaded not guilty to seditious conspiracy charges. They face trial later this year, but both did sit for day-long depositions with the committee several months ago. Tarika, the committee thinks it can avoid attorney-client privilege issues with Cipollone. It's unclear if he'll be under oath, but it's unlawful to make a false statement to Congress either way. That's right, and I know you'll be keeping track of it all. Thank you, Scott. Well, President Biden said today the Justice Department is monitoring the investigation into the shooting death of Jalen Walker in Akron, Ohio. Biden said he would take, quote, appropriate action if any federal laws were broken. A medical examiner's preliminary report says a coroner found police handcuffed Jalen's hands from behind after he had been shot more than 60 times by police. A traffic stop is what led to the incident. Police allege they were fired at during the pursuit first. However, Walker was unarmed during the foot chase. A curfew in downtown Akron that had been imposed during protest over Walker's killing has now been lifted. Well, there's new and startling information regarding the mass shooting at a grade school in Uvalde, Texas, which left 21 people dead, most of them children who were set to graduate days later. CBS's Janet Shamlian reports on a series of missed opportunities and lapses in judgment. Tonight, never before disclosed information. A Uvalde police officer had the gunman in his sights outside before the shooter entered the school and asked a supervisor for permission to shoot, but never received it. There was no requirement for that officer to ask for permission to shoot. If he felt that that person was a threat to him, to the officer or to others, the Texas Penal Code allows them to use deadly force to try to stop that person. Pete Blair is the executive director of the Alert Training Center at Texas State University, which issued the report, it says, at the request of the governor and Department of Public Safety. The report also found the classroom door where the shooter was barricaded was unlocked. School police chief Pete Arredondo previously claimed it was locked and that he had spent time looking for keys. Once officers finally entered the classroom more than an hour after the shooting started, they were no better equipped than they had been up to that point. Look at it as a dad, as a parent. Anger and frustration is growing in Uvalde over a lack of answers. The community last week confronted the mayor. A Texas legislative committee is investigating and has been interviewing law enforcement and other witnesses for weeks. Its report is expected soon. Janet Shamley and CBS News, Houston. Overseas now to the UK, where British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is on the brink of a political downfall. There have been more than 40 members of his government to resign. CBS's Ramian Asensio has more on what's next. This is UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson's own party turning against him. Today, I ask him to do the honorable thing to put the interests of the nation before his own interests. A stream of resignations started by top cabinet members. Enough is enough. I believe that point is now. On top of criticism from the head of the opposition Labour Party. The only way the country can get the fresh start it deserves is by getting rid of a lot of them. 
Johnson looking very much alone under the barrage, but defiantly insisting he will stay on. The job of a prime minister in difficult circumstances is to keep going, and that's what I'm going to do. Not for long, says political economist Stephen McCabe. Percentage survivability, zero. What happened in the past 24 hours that prompted where we are now? It's a bit like the sort of the, the, the dam, it starts to leak and all of a sudden there's a tidal wave. I, I think this has been building up. The fact that people are being sent out to, so, to say things that were not true. Boris Johnson has now apologized for appointing this man, Chris Pincher, to a high government role. The prime minister claimed he forgot about sexual assault allegations from 2019. Critics say he lied. The proverbial last straw after his government's Partygate scandal in which members of his administration held a series of parties while the rest of the UK was under mandatory COVID lockdown. There seems to be a party that can't be trusted. Boris Johnson is not a man of his word and there is no integrity. So tonight, Boris Johnson is still prime minister and still very defiant. But a committee may change the rules to allow for a fresh vote of no confidence. That rules change may come as soon as this Monday and ultimately could push him out. Jerika. Ramian Asensio for us in London. Thank you. Back here at home, while millions of Americans are ready to turn the page on the pandemic, the fight is far from over. The CDC says that nearly one in five COVID patients will experience long-haul symptoms that can last up to months or even years. We sat down with a long-hauler who is fighting more than just the effects from the virus. This is my current medical bills. 42-year-old Renee Larson is a COVID long hauler. Since getting COVID-19 in March of 2020, she suffered one medical ailment after another. I had a stroke. I've had blood clots in both legs. I've had paralysis in my right arm three times. But Larson says debilitating fatigue upended her 22-year career in HR. When the chronic fatigue hit, my world changed because I could not function. Unable to work, Larson lost her job and unable to pay her bills. She says she lost her home and is now living with a friend. She spends her days seeing one doctor after another. Everyone has a different take. Every doctor, I have 23 doctors. I'm sorry, you have how many doctors? 23. Because of Because COVID? of COVID. Before this, I only had asthma. So this has changed my life. There is no universal clinical definition for long COVID, but there are more than 200 symptoms associated with it. With long COVID, the mantra must be, it is real. Dr. Ted Long treats people with COVID. Some of the more common symptoms that I'm seeing are brain fog, fatigue, depression, shortness of breath. But there are some of my patients that have symptoms that are less common, things like hair loss. Renee Larson is also fighting to get insurance benefits. Larson says she's been denied disability from her employer and Social Security. Attorney Joshua Ben says his COVID clients are often met with skepticism. A lot of people have a lot of different symptoms, but they're not showing up on the testing. And Social Security is looking for objective testing. It, it's real difficult. Difficulties Larson knows all too well. When most people think about COVID, do you think this part of the story, stories like yours, are being forgotten about? We're left behind. I think that we're the forgotten people of COVID right now. We're survivors. We're telling our story of how we're still here. And they don't just want to be here. They want to be healthy. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? 
Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. At the White House, President Biden and Vice President Harris called Brittany Griner's wife and assured her that the U.S. is working to secure Griner's release from Russia. The basketball player has been held on drug charges since February. Griner wrote to Mr. Biden asking that he not forget about her and other American detainees. Griner's wife posted on Instagram that she is grateful for their commitment to bring her home. The president is expected to reply to Griner in a letter today. Well, a Los Angeles jury today convicted a California man of murder in the 2019 shooting death of Grammy-winning rapper Nipsey Hussle. Eric Holder Jr. showed no emotion when the verdict was read. Prosecutors say Holder shot Hussle at least 10 times. Two bystanders were injured in the shooting. Holder faces life in prison when he's sentenced in September. After a tornado touchdown in Goshen, Ohio, this afternoon, just east of Cincinnati, the twister damaged some buildings and also tore down trees and power lines. As many as 100,000 people are without power in parts of three states, as more storms are expected tonight from the Ohio River Valley to the Carolinas. NBA player John ja Morant gave a waitress a very nice surprise following a recent lunch with friends. The Memphis Grizzlies point guard tipped his server $500. The moment was captured by a videographer making a documentary series about the player. The waitress at first had no idea who Morant was, but screamed. You didn't want it. With delight after recognizing the 22-year-old superstar. What a nice gesture. Morant went on to say that blessings come when you bless others. That's tonight's evening news for Nora O'Donnell and all of us. I'm Jerika. Do it was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Millie Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.